are going to, first off, the book of Luke. That's where we're going to begin today, uh, Luke chapter 3. As we venture into our new series of the genealogy of God, I'm going to center my mic a little bit. I'll do this. All right. I can just imagine how the podcast is going to sound. All right, Luke chapter 3. Uh, and, and as we look at this, you might look at it and go, why, why, are, why are we starting here? All of this is, is the stuff I skip in my devotions, right? This guy begat that guy, and this guy begat that guy, and all this is going on and so on for, for oh, well, coming up here on what? What is this? 15 verses of this? Well, there are some names in here that are important, that jump out to us. We have this awesome account. That is actually somewhat miraculous. Uh, if we were to look at these guys, uh, this is Luke. He's just a doctor. And yet somehow God works in his life to where he is going to accurately going to go through genealogies for generations. Generation after generation he goes through. And it's perfect. All right, you go through and look at your genealogy. How far back can you go? Right? Like, uh, that's a really big thing right now is Ancestry.com. Who, who has a subscription? Has anyone looked into any of that stuff? Uh, I tried it out a couple months ago uh, of looking back and being, because it's interesting. I want to know where I came from. I want to know, yes, everyone asks me, like, oh, Dean Lentini, you're Italian, right? Yes, I want to know how Italian I am. So, so I wanted to look it up. So I use that Ancestry.com and I get a, the free account, I start looking through, and I start seeing documents of my, my grandfather coming over from Italy and all this kinds of stuff. And uh, it was very interesting. And a lot of people are doing that because ancestry is very important. We have even TV shows that are being made about it, uh, of uh, where does this famous person come from? And, and it's so interesting to find out that he came from shepherds in Ireland. You know, like they, they do all this, uh, they put all this money into it and they find out very simple things. But why do they do that? Why, why are we so interested in that? Well, because your ancestry kind of tells you a little bit where you come from and who you are as a person, right? It, it, it kind of informs you about your life. And here, when we look at Luke chapter 3, what we're going to be doing is there's these 15 verses about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're going to take four weeks. And look at four different individuals and trace the genealogy of God. Uh, so the first week here, we're going to be looking at Boaz. Next week, we'll look at Abraham. The week after, we'll look at Adam. And the week after, following, uh, well, for Christmas Eve, our Sunday morning service, uh, we're going to be looking at Jesus being the Son of God. Uh, it's this beautiful genealogy that we have in Luke chapter 3. But like I said, we're, we're taking these four different names. If you look in verse 32... Uh, of Luke chapter 3, verse 32, it says, The son of Jesse, the son of Abed, the son of Boaz. That, that is where we're going to focus in this morning. Like I said, genealogy is important. So who is this guy? A lot of these people, we would know their names. And we'll, we'll talk about uh, Abraham next week. That's a very famous name. Most of us probably know him. right? We all know who Adam is. And hopefully, if, if you don't, you can talk to me after service. But uh, if you don't know who God is, we, we, we have that for us, right, in, in the Word. We know that. All right, but there are some of these individuals that kind of stick out in that they're, they're like, maybe we know their name, but we don't really know how that connects. 
uh, to, to what they, they went through, what their life was like. Uh, Boaz is one of those guys. So who is Boaz? And what does that mean when, when we say that Jesus is the son of Boaz? Uh, well, we're going to be looking uh, really at a, a very zoomed out view this morning of the book of Ruth. Uh, and, and looking at this beautiful love story uh, between Boaz and Ruth and, and kind of relating that to, all right, well, what does it look like for us uh, with Jesus? All right, so first let's go to Ruth chapter 1. Like I said, we're just keeping our, like we're jumping off we're using Luke 3 as a diving board, and I don't do that lightly, uh, but uh, we're using it as a diving board to go back and look at Boaz. So Ruth chapter 1. We're going to kind of look at a few verses uh, between this and going through chapter 4. But we're going to kind of get, like I said, the zoomed out view uh, of the story of Ruth and Boaz. So in order for us to know who Boaz is, uh, we first have to understand Ruth. Because that, that's how we have the introduction into Boaz. And why we see why he is so important that later, um, you know, coming up on a thousand years after, uh, that, that we have him recorded here. And then 2,000 years later, we're talking about this guy, Boaz. So let's see why he's so important. Ruth chapter 1, uh, starting at verses 1 through 5. We'll read it, and then we will pray, and we will study it together. In the days when the judges ruled there, uh, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilon. They were uh, Ephrathites uh, from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But uh, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, and named, uh, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And about Malon and Chilon died, so that the women was left without her two sons and her husband. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would be with us as we look at your word this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, understanding through your Holy Spirit as we look at these texts. And, and we see this beautiful story uh, uh, of tradition and, and uh, uh, of romance uh, and, and also just of kindness. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that it would speak to us today, uh, that maybe through this that we would see a little bit more uh, of who Jesus is for us. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn and to grow today. I pray that you would help me, as always, to get out of the way of your word, that your word would go forth, that it would do its work. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so why, why are we talking about Boaz? Well, we're talking about Boaz because of Ruth. Now, Ruth was, was a Moabite. Now, if we know the background, we know that Moabites are not looked at as uh, very fondly in the, in the Word of God, right? Who were they? Well, there were people from Moab, and Moab was one of those cursed nations. What I mean by that is that it was a nation that went against Israel. Uh, and we know that God is working through Israel. He, he has a hand over Israel. He's protecting them. And then he says those, those famous words that we'll actually talk about next week to Abraham. Those who bless you will be what? Blessed. And those who curse you will be what? Cursed. Uh, and Moab was one of those nations who cursed Israel. So we have this guy, Elimelech, who, who has his wife, Naomi, and he has two sons. And there's a famine here in Israel. 
And, and so he has the great idea that I'm going to go into this other land, Moab, where there's more, more food there, and I'm going to live there. Now, that, that's not a great idea. Because, again, this is a cursed nation. You know, this is a nation that's raging against your own nation. Uh, so he goes here. Not the greatest idea. And, and what happens? He dies. He dies, and then his two sons die after they've already taken Moabite wives. So now we have this, this, this group of three women. We have Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. And, and they're left without a man to take care of them. Now, for us today, in 2017, we can look at that and say, well, fine. They'll, they'll be just fine. You know, they, all they have to do is go and get some jobs and provide for themselves. They're, they're strong women. They could take care of themselves. But that's 2017. Back in this time frame, that was not looked at with the same kind of, oh, they could just do that. No, uh, they actually could not own land. Uh, they, they had no say to the land that Elimelech owned. They had no land, they had no money, and they had no home. And, and so what are they to do? Right? The, these three women left there. Uh, we, we see that uh, Ruth, and we're going to really focus in on her, because really that's, that's who the story is about. We see it in the name of the book, right? All right but we're going to focus in on her, but Naomi is also going through these, these same issues. But they need what they would call a redeemer. Now, today we talk about redeemers, and we talk about the one redeemer, right? We, we, the redeemer, Jesus Christ. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But back then, they needed someone to go and to buy the land of Elimelech. Now, there, there were some stipulations that we'll get into of who that person could be. But what we need to understand is that these women, uh, specifically with Ruth, she had no hope of redeeming herself. Right? She, she needed someone else, an outside force, to come in and be able to buy that land and take care of her. Because under the law, she couldn't own that land. She couldn't take it. And even though her husband owned it and it was his and it was just sitting there, no one else has it, she couldn't use it. Uh, so she, she needed to be redeemed by someone else. Uh, and it had to be a relative who, who could buy this land, a relative of Elimelech. All right, uh, so that, that person could buy that land. The idea of a redeemer was to buy the land, marry that girl, and have a child. And that child would then go under the lineage of Elimelech, so to carry on that tradition. We know uh, from the Word of God that there was some trouble with some people trying to get around that in the book of Genesis. But that, that's what's supposed to happen, is that a redeemer was to go and buy the land, marry the girl, have a child, and that would be the legacy of Elimelech. But here, she's in Moab, right? Where's her redeemer? There's no one there that's related to Elimelech. So what do they do? Well, they go and they travel. All right, um, Naomi, she gives them an out. This is the, the older woman, the wife of Elimelech. She looks at these two daughters-in-laws and says, You're Moabites. Go back to your people. Right, you go back to your people, go to your mother's house, and they'll take care of you. I'm going back to Israel to see if there is some way for me to be redeemed. And Orpah says, all right, see you later, Naomi. I'm going back to my mom's house. But Naomi, it says that she clings on to her. 
or uh, that, that Ruth clings on to Naomi. She's, she's holding on for dear life. And she says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And, and so they go into the land of Israel. So um, we, we see that she has no home, no hope, and no money or connections. So on the back of your bulletin, I have just listed out for us just a few little ideas that Ruth desperately needed a redeemer. This wasn't like some kind of, oh, a wishful thought of maybe if I were ever to find my Prince Charming that I could be happy. That's not what is going through her mind. Her mind is survival. How am I to live? How am I to eat without someone to take care of me? So Ruth desperately needed a redeemer, but she has no prospects there until chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's. What is, what is he like? He's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. All right, so we got Ruth. She's desperate. She, she has nowhere to turn, no redeemer. And then they travel to Israel, and, and they're, they're gleaning, which they would just basically walk through a field and take a few things here, a few things there, just so that they could survive. And then in 2 verse 1, we have this guy show up. And he is a relative. All right, so, so, so here we have some hope that maybe, just maybe, uh, there could be someone to redeem Ruth. Uh, and uh, it says that he is a, a worthy man. Uh, now, maybe your Bible uh, says a mighty man of wealth. And that's really the idea. The King James gets it really right there. Uh, a, a mighty man of wealth. The, the closest idea uh, of what this really translates for us, Leon Morris, a, a really good commentarian, he says, the best way to think of this is our understanding of a knight. He, he is mighty, which means that he, he's got some military background, and he's wealthy. So you could think of him like a, like a medieval knight. So here is Ruth, desperate, and literally her knight in shining armor comes. All right, and he shows up here on the scene. He's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. He's a good guy. Um, we see a couple other things about this, this possible redeemer. Uh, two, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink with the young men uh, what, what the young men have drawn. All right, so, so here, right off the bat, we see the character of Boaz. First off, he's protective. All right, we have, we have these women who are going around, they're gleaning, and there are men, this was a common thing in the ancient world, taking advantage of that. Here you have beautiful young women who are gleaning in the middle of nowhere. No one else is around. And there were some that were taking advantage of that. And so Boaz looks at them and says, don't go to any of those other fields. You know, uh, later Naomi is going to talk about how some have been assaulted in the other fields. And so Boaz here is protective and saying, no, just stay here. You can glean as much as you want. Uh, but just be here. I want you to be safe. So this is a protective redeemer. 
Uh, not only is he that, but he's also compassionate. Verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been uh, fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and come to a people that you did not know before. So here we see a compassionate redeemer. That he, he looks at this woman and says, I, I've heard the stories. I've heard the stories of how, how even when your husband died, that you've been so faithful to Naomi. That you've taken care of her. Uh, so so he, he's got a heart. And what else does he have? Well, verse 12 he knows God, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now we also need to know that this is not during a time when the nation of Israel was on one of those ups. You know, a lot of times they have like the ups where they're serving God, and then they go down and they, they rebel. Uh, this is in one of those, those valleys. But yet this man, Boaz is one who loves God. Uh, he loves God and he looks at, uh, at Ruth and says, all right, I know what you've been doing, that you've, you've left the, your, your family, and now the Lord is going to repay you. The Lord is going to bless you, Ruth. And I'm sure that Ruth didn't quite know what, was, what that really meant uh, for at least a, a few weeks here. Um, but there, there's something happening here. And there's a beautiful love story. If you really read every verse, I would encourage you, uh, read every verse and, and look at the love story between Boaz and Ruth. Uh, young ladies, uh, this, this, is the, this is the guy that you need to be looking for. All right, a guy like Boaz. All right, so, so he's compassionate, uh, and, and we have this, this great idea in verse 20. Uh, 2 verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. So Ruth didn't know that before. Again, she, she's, she's an outsider, a foreigner coming in, right? And, and so she doesn't know who's related to who. And she's just gleaning in this field, and here comes this really nice guy, this wealthy, like this shining knight uh, coming in, and, and he's compassionate, and he's protective, and he's all the, these godly things that you'd be looking for in a redeemer. And then Naomi says, he's family. He's a relative of Elimelech. He's one of our redeemers. So then, then it becomes, a, oh, well, maybe this could actually be something. Now there's a little bit of hope brought into the situation. It's not just of Ruth like going to live out her days as, uh, as uh, you know, a uh, husbandless, uh, childless person without land to own, without a future. No. He is one of our redeemers. He's a kinsman. This was hugely important in that time. All right? that, that, that if uh, someone is going to be a redeemer, it couldn't just be some random stranger. It had to be someone who was related. Not only is he related, he's wealthy. All right, because he has to be related. He has to be able to buy the land. Right? Uh, and, and we definitely see that. He owns lots of land around. All right, but there is a problem. All right, there's a lot of good if we're going on the pros and the cons. Right? The pros are filling up. Uh, but there is one really big con. Let's go to chapter 3, verse 12. 
And now it is true. This is, this is Boaz talking to Ruth. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. All right, so, so, so here we have this, this love story and it's continuing and, and they're having a meal together and you could think of it like a candlelight dinner kind of a thing and, and, and they're talking and, and she's basically, Ruth lays out the idea like, redeem me, redeem me, marry me, buy my uh, father-in-law's land and, and give me a son. Like all, all of this, she's presenting that to him and he, he likes the idea. He loves her. But... There's this problem that, yes, I am a redeemer, but there's one who's closer. There's one who's closer, so I got to go talk to him. Now, he has this sit down, uh, which uh, if, if you were to read the whole story, you can almost there's like a little bit of humor to it of like how intense it is. Uh, but but they're sitting down at the gate there and they bring in this redeemer and Boaz sits him down. He's got the elders all around him and he starts laying it out. Uh, of all right, are you going to fulfill your duty or not? All right, uh, we see it in four, verse six, chapter four, verse six. Then the redeemer said, after Boaz tells him, "Are you going to do it or not?" Then the redeemer said, "I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it." All right, so, so there was the problem of there was a redeemer who was closer in relation, so he was like the first up. Uh, and so Boaz approaches him and says, are you going to do it or not? And, and, and he says, no, I can't. Why? Well, not because he doesn't have the money, but because there's some kind of entanglement with his inheritance. All right, see, a, re, a redeemer had to be a kinsman. He had to be wealthy enough to pay but he had to also be free of entanglements. And that didn't fit this other guy. But it works out for Boaz and Ruth, right? Because Boaz doesn't have those entanglements. So yes, he says, I'm going to take it on. Uh, he's, uh, and, and he actually does it. We see it in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. So it's a beautiful story of how this, this girl... Uh, like all the worst things in the world happen to her. Uh, and, and yet the Lord works through all of that and, and brings her to this guy who could redeem her. And it all works out there in the end. But we see here that Boaz, Boaz is the only one, if you look on the back of your bulletin, Boaz is the only one qualified and able to redeem Ruth. He's the only one. There's nobody else. Like the only other guy had entanglement, so he couldn't do it. So what was the result? What was the result of this redemption? Well, first off, it, it, it give, gave Ruth purpose. Now, again, in the ancient world, like they're, like you have to like think differently about, about the gender equality and all of those kinds of things. But here she was, she was wandering. She was wandering, just someone redeem me. And now she has that. Now Ruth could use the land. She could possess the land. Uh, she, she had a son. We see that in verse 13. By the way, this, this son is going to be the grandfather of someone very important. Obed, the son. Uh, 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 Obed's going to be the father uh, of Jesse. Jesse's going to be the father of who? David. Pretty important guy. So he's, she's going to have a legacy because of this. 
uh, not, not just wandering around aimless. And now, of course, I would say probably the most important thing, she had love in her life. She, she was in such like a desperate state, and now she has Boaz, who is compassionate, who is protective, who is uh, just a, a wise man and cares for her, has a, has a deep love for her. So now she has love in her life. Now, as we're talking about this, I hope that you've already started to put the pieces together. What does this look like? What does this look like? Of course, this looks like what Jesus does for his church. Right? As we see it, Ruth had no way to redeem herself. What does that look like? It looks like us before Christ. No way to get ourselves into some kind of saved state or to attain some some even ounce of righteousness in the eyes of God. Unable. We needed someone else. Now, who is that someone else? Well, it's Jesus. And it's only Jesus. Why? Because he's our kinsman. Because at this time, right, we just talked about it earlier with lighting the candle. We look at the Christmas trees and it reminds us. Jesus was born. Just a few weeks we're going to celebrate that. He is our kinsman. He's not just some outside force that that has no relationship to us. He, He became a man. Philippians 2 says that he came in the form of a servant, a man. So this is the God of the universe taking on this form. Why did he do it? So he could experience everything like us. And so he could taste death, like what we're going to be talking about in just a few minutes with communion. He did that. He is our kinsman, but he's not just that. He's wealthy. He's wealthy. He is rich in grace. Right? That's what Ephesians 2 tells us. He is, he is rich in grace. He is rich in mercy. He's abounding in it. So yes, He can pay the price. He could pay the price for our sin. But there, there, that one problem that stuck with for, for Boaz and Ruth. Entanglements. Does Jesus have any entanglements? No. That's why it's so important, as it was already uh, read to us. For unto us a child is born, right? How was he born? Miraculously. The virgin birth. He had no sin nature. So if he doesn't have a sin nature, then he's not uh, doesn't have sin within himself, and he never sinned, so then he's free from those entanglements. It's, it's not just, oh, well, I am a kinsman, and, and I'm wealthy enough to pay, but I've got these other entanglements, so I can't follow through. Jesus fits every one of those qualifications. And so when he dies on the cross for our sins, it matters. Because he is our kinsman redeemer. Because he is the one who could buy us out and give us purpose and, and make it so that we're not without hope. Make it so that we're not without a home, that we're not without a direction, that we can have those things because of what Christ did for us. So Jesus is our kinsman. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is compassionate. We see all those things that Boaz was. Uh, Jesus is to the nth degree. He's compassionate. He's protective. He, he is um, overwhelmingly kind. And he has none of those 
entanglement. So what are we going to do with that? What do you do with that? It's the gospel. Some people get tired of me preaching the gospel. I'm never going to stop. Sorry. You'll have to vote me out. Um, But what should that motivate us to? Why is it that we celebrate communion every month? Right? We know what it is. We know what it is, right? Like we, we, we do it every month. We, we get it. Why do we, and we have to go through the same thing every month. Why? Because it informs our lives. Because when we come to this table, when we think about the gospel, when we think about how Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, it should motivate us to love him. Love him more. You can never stop loving Jesus more. Now, if you, you think about it even with your spouse, do you love your spouse more today than when you got married? I hope so. It's the way it should be. Because you're growing in that relationship. Jesus is the same way in that we have a relationship with him. So we should be growing in our love for him more and more. We should love Jesus more today than we did a year ago. We should love Jesus more on Christmas Day than we do today. Because we're growing in that love. Now, what happens with your spouse when you grow in that love? Well, you know them better, right? Like you think about it in your early days of marriage, all the things that you guys fought about. Do you fight about the same things? Again, hopefully not. Hopefully you've grown. Because you know them uh, better. Well, you should know Jesus better. You should grow in your understanding of Jesus. Now, that that knowledge doesn't just sit there, right? If I know that my wife doesn't like me doing something and I keep on doing it, is that loving my wife? Does Does that more knowledge that I have about something, does that have any importance? No, because it matters what you do, right? Not just the knowledge that you have, but how you actually use it. That's the same thing with Jesus. So the more we, we know about Jesus, the more we love Jesus, the more that informs what we do. The more it says, all right, well, there is that sin in my life that I've let it, and it just sits there. And I've been doing it for year after year after year. If we love Christ, we have to look at that sin and say, I have to stop because that's what my, 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 my love wants me to do. What my Savior wants me to do. So let, let the gospel soak into your hearts this Christmas. Not just the trees, even though they're pretty. Uh, not just the presents and the family traditions. But think about the gospel, because that's the real importance. Yeah, yeah we, we know it's cute. We know it's cute that Jesus is a baby and he's in the manger. And we're going to talk about that for the next couple weeks. But what is that really leading to? It's all leading to the cross. It's all leading to the gospel. That's what Christmas is really about. Christmas, uh, people say Jesus is the reason for the season. That's not wrong, but it's not specific either. The gospel is the reason for the season. Because Jesus had to be born, and he had to be our kinsman. And he had to be free of all those entanglements so that when he died on the cross, it mattered. It made a difference. And then each one of us, if we really believe that, we have to do something about it. 
And not just, well, I did something about it last year. Or I, I worked on that sin last week. And, and I'm, I'm taking a break from working so hard on my sin. No, every day. Every day we look for those things. Every day we, we, we're in the Word and we're growing in Christ and we're getting that deeper relationship with Jesus Christ and it's affecting us. We let that love impact our lives so we live more like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you glory for who you are. You're the sovereign I am, the one who created all things. And you're the one who came up with the plan. Ephesians tells us in chapter 1, before the foundation of the world, you set this plan in motion to send Jesus Christ at the right time, according to Galatians, at the right time you sent him to be born a fragile little baby, the God of the universe, a little baby who needed his mother so he could be our kinsman. So he could be like us. And of course, so he could redeem us. So he could buy us out of the slavery of sin. That he could pay the price. We thank you, God, that he was free from all entanglements. He was not wrestling with his own sin. He was born without a sin nature. He lived a sinless life. He was wealthy in grace and mercy to redeem us. God, I pray that we would know that and that we would live that. God, if there is something in our hearts, something that we've been hiding, we don't want anyone else to know about, the sin that we have, God, I pray that we would reach out to someone who we know loves Jesus Christ and wants to help us. We would reach out to them and say, help me with this. Keep me accountable. Help me to live in light of the love that I have for Jesus. God, if there is something in our hearts, I pray that you would reveal it to us, even now. Lord, even as we come to our time of communion, it is, it is always such a stark reminder to me of my sin. God, I pray that when we... When we eat that bread and when we drink that juice that we would not drink it or eat it unworthily but that we'd be focused on the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that we would say until he comes back I will continue to do this I will continue to remember because as we remember it, it impacts what we do God I pray that you would work in our hearts Lord, I pray even now that through your Holy Spirit that you'd be working each believer's heart here this morning and, and, and seeking out that sin. Lord, let us, let us fall under conviction today, holy conviction of our sin. There are not just bad things or, or, or a bad habit that we do. There are abominable actions. There are abominable thoughts that are worthy of hellfire. But thanks be to you, who has sent us our kinsman redeemer. God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who's never trusted in Jesus Christ, who, who maybe doesn't even know what that word redemption means,
I pray that they would ask today. I pray that you would give them boldness. And Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that we would live in light of that. And that as we celebrate this Christmas season, and there's so much joy and happiness and hope, I pray that we would live that out. That we'd have joy because of what Jesus has done for us. That we'd have hope because we get to be with him forever because of what he did on the cross for us. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy. I, I pray that we would live out that gospel. Live out that, that idea that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.